Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B, SaaS, and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics at Major Up podcast. Today, we are joined by Ryan Walsh, founder and CEO of RepView. Today, we'll be covering four main topics with Ryan. First, the secret to a 16-year sales career at one company. Second, the catalyst and the vision behind RepView. Third, a little more into the making B2B sales culture and compensation a transparent reality. And fourth, Our current sales compensation programs really reflective of today's modern B2B sales profession, professional, and their responsibilities. Ryan, please take a moment to give a brief background overview of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Great. No, thanks, Ray. I appreciate you having me on. And and, yep, founded RepView here in the last couple of years. I'll start at the beginning of my journey. I was a startup person very early in my career in the late 90s dot-com bubble and was fortunate to not be crushed or or exploded by that bubble. I was with a startup that got acquired just before it burst. And then essentially that wound itself into what became Channel Advisor. And I was there for 16 years. We'll talk about that journey a little bit here in a couple of minutes. But my entire career there was really spent in sales roles from individual contributor to CRO, and, and we were eventually a public SaaS company as well. And I uh, did some consulting after that in the last five or so years, and, and have since founded uh, RepView, which is the world's largest ratings platform where sales professionals can rate their sales organization with the goal and, and the idea to deliver extreme transparency into what it's like to work and sell for any of the world's most well-known sales organizations. And so we're on a we're a very mission-driven company to to really empower sales professionals with data to help them make the best decisions for their careers. So yeah, I know we'll dive into a few of those points, but that's that's just a little bit of background on me and uh, looking forward to, to chatting about it. Ryan, thank you for the background. Thank you for what you're doing with RepView. But before we dig into RepView even more, when I first was introduced to you and I saw your profile, I'm like, whoa, 16 years at a single company and in an industry in a role where we talk about 16 to 20 month life cycles as being the norm. Can you give us a little bit of a background on what's your secret to that level of success and tenure at a single company? Well, I don't I don't know if there's a secret to it. I mean, first of all, anytime you're talking about a tenure like 16 years, by default, that means it started a long time ago, right? And and it ended in 2017. So it started back in 2001. And I think, first of all, there, it's a different time back then, right? There was no such thing as LinkedIn and many of these other networks. There, there was not as much of a, an online forum for sales professionals and really any professional to change jobs as easy, or, as easy as they can today and access to data, for better or for worse, back then, access to people, right? I had a job. I was a couple of years out of school. I ended up taking an enterprise sales role, really, and I stayed in that job for five years. And, and when I look back at that time, I, I think about a couple of different things. Number one, I think about how much I learned about sales and selling over that time period and over that tenure. In those five years in that one role, literally, I, I had the same business card, right? I, I didn't even need to get a new business card. Today, that would be you know, madness. You got to get a promotion. You got to go run a team. 
at the very least, just switch companies to mix it up. And, you know, whether that's right or wrong, it just wasn't as prevalent back then. And so I was really happy. And then I, I just was working really hard. I learned the product in the industry so inside and out that I was able to take the next steps in my career with that organization. But I think it really comes down to uh, another factor being loyalty, right? And, and those founders gave me a chance time and time again to step up. And I was really excited to do that. I had to learn a lot of it on my own. It was early SaaS days. There wasn't a million resources on how to run a SaaS sales team as there are today. You can you know, just open your browser and you stumble off across 20 or 30 resources that had best practices for leading a SaaS sales organization from you know, lead flow to closing to renewals and everything like that. But you know, that career for me was was defining. I took over the sales organization at 35 million in revenue in end of 2010, grew it to 115 million. We had an IPO in there halfway through that tenure and very fond of the time that I had at Channel Advisor. And a lot of it though, I will look at those five years as an individual contributor, carrying a bag, learning the craft, and being appreciative of what sales is and, and what it takes to be successful. So, you know, I know it's different as it, you know, than it is today. I did a poll on LinkedIn recently. It was, I think it was 67% of respondents, several thousand salespeople responded to this poll. How long is it too long to stay in a single sales job? And 67% said, if it's working for me, I would never leave. And so what that tells us, Ray, is that people actually do want to stay, right? And they do want to have that tenure. Right? But for one reason or another, what they're doing in the role is not maybe what they expected or liked or hoped or is not living up to their expectations for whatever reason. So I think people do want to stay. I just don't think there aren't enough opportunities for people to really feel comfortable and, and excited about that long tenure that I had. That is, that's a major data point that really surprises me, Ryan. So let me make sure I heard it right. 67%, so two-thirds of salespeople who responded to your poll said they would prefer to stay at their company long-term. That's right. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm pulling up the poll right now and I'll tell you the exact wording so it's clear. Regardless of career track or success, how long is too long to stay with the same sales org? So think about that. Even if you're doing really well, you know, how long is too long? And people basically responded, yeah, over 3,000 votes, 67%, if it's working, don't leave. This poll is on my public LinkedIn profile. Anybody can go look at it. Uh, if it's working, don't leave, 67%. And, and only 7% said three to four years. So most people, it's a long time. So yeah, right. I mean, people want to stay. Sales professionals want to be, they want to find that role where they can be successful and are willing to be a long-term tenure. And that, it's so valuable for employers to have that tenure as well. I was going to initially double click on kind of what was the catalyst to refuge, but before I go there, I have to ask you with all the, the research and feedback you get from your, what is it, over 20,000 members now that have contributed to the refuge information? About 20,000, about I think 26,500 ratings and some folks do, you know, we'll, we'll leave a couple ratings. Have you been able to, based upon all the data and the scores that you're calculating, have you been able to identify those two or three most important attributes or variables that will lead to a salesperson staying or looking for the grass is green on the other side opportunity? Yep. Well, obviously the person that they report to, the manager is very important, but we don't get into the business of rating people. So I'm going to kind of dodge that topic. We have a set of seven attributes of sales organizations that we look at we actually ask every user when they sign up to stack rank just for themselves, what do they care about in their career? You can't dodge this question 
by saying, yes, 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 these are all important. You literally have to drag and drop stack rank them. Product market fit, culture and leader, leadership, inbound lead flow, diversity and inclusion, incentive compensation structure, base compensation, uh, the amount, and I might be forgetting one. The product market fit is number one, what we found. Compensation ones are generally pretty high up there as well as culture, but product market fit, particularly for AEs, and it gets kind of close. Professional development kind of finds its way towards the top for SDRs. And I agree with that sentiment. If I was going to rank my own product market fit would be would be number one on my list as well, because kind of everything centers right. And you might have heard the old adage, if, if you throw a great team at a bad product, the product wins every time. Right. So when I'm advising sales professionals, you know, about new opportunities to make sure and dig into that product, you know, and, and I'm not just talking about go to Repu and look at the product scores because we have product market fit scores, but really, you know, talk to customers find former employees that have worked there, do your research on the competitive landscape, all that sort of thing. So product market fit, but at the same time, I'm not going to avoid the compensation thing here. Compensation for salespeople is really, really important. Always has been. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it always will be, but there are other factors. Ryan, let me ask on compensation. Number one, the fact that product market fits, number one, surprises me, and I'm sure it does for a lot of our listening audiences. But another question that most, I think, hiring companies struggle with, what's more important, base or the OTE opportunity? Which one is higher? Is it base salary or is it total comp, Ryan? Well, let me, let me talk about that kind of theoretically, right? When we started RepView, we really tried to dig into what do people care about? What's most important? What is culture? And actually, I was just on a LinkedIn Live here a few minutes ago talking about sales culture. Sales culture is winning, okay? It's succeeding. It's not you know the best coffee in the break room, right? Because there aren't, break rooms are virtual now. It's all about winning. And we tried to dig in and find a couple of core statistics for how do you define that? Like, what does that mean, right? So if I take this new sales job, what are the chances that I'll hit my quota? Okay, number one, that's really important, right? Because you're sold. Hey, Ray, this is a 100K base, 100K variable. So you, it's 200K OTE. I just took a job 200K. Well, did you? Because if only 30% of the team is hitting that, you really did. Okay, it's, it's not a 200K. So that's variable number one. What, what is the likelihood of hitting my quota? And that's a really core statistic that we track in a unique way and deliver back to our users. And then number two, what is the most I can earn, right? I'm a salesperson. I'm going to be the guy at the top of the leaderboard, right? What's the most I can earn in this role? Oh, it's 200K OTE. Well, what is the top rep earns 450? Well, that's pretty good. I'm going to be at the top of the leaderboard. So you're kind of triangulating in, what are my chances of hitting quota? And what can I earn at the top of the leaderboard? If those two things are aligned and it's an organization where a reasonably high number of percent of people are hitting quota, maybe it's 55%, maybe it's 60%, and the top earning potential is really high, the base doesn't really matter, okay? But when you start getting into organizations where few people are hitting quota, then it does matter, right? It does matter because there's, there's significant risk there, right? And so base is really de-risking for a lot of sales professionals, right? And everybody talks about this a lot, right? You know, can you live off your base? and save your variable, right? Like it has to be living, but at the same time, right? Salespeople don't go into sales to make their base and they don't honestly really go into sales to make their OTE. There's the chase of that top earning potential, which most modern sales orgs, you know, have reasonably decently structured comp plans where people can make a lot of money if they're successful. But the key is, how do I know before I take that job, if that is possible especially if that is possible for me and my skill set and what I care about, what's important and what I value in my career. 
You said something, and I spent all day long looking for benchmarks in the B2B SaaS and cloud industry, and I look for correlations. How does one input variable impact the output variable? Things like net dollar retention. What really drives net dollar retention? Is it MPS? Is it CSAT, et cetera? So when it comes to culture versus compensation, do you know how large the correlation is towards people making quotas, 70, 80% of the organization to that cultural score or company score? Is there a really tight correlation there, Ryan? That's a great question. I can't say that, you know, we could run those numbers, right? And we could look at that. And maybe that's something that we'll take as a to-do list. So I don't have the actual, the statistic, like the correlated statistic for that. But what I'll say is that they're very well, like the percent hitting quota and the top earner potential is going to be very well correlated with that culture score. And, and it goes back to, we did a lot of research and, and a lot of it was just as many conversations as we could have with sales professionals when we were starting RepView. And obviously we have those, still have those conversations every single day, but it's really, you know, what drives culture, right? Well, if I can win, right. And we talk about, you know, what is culture? Culture is not, you, you have to be careful to, to get away from the distinguished culture versus perks, right? Culture for salespeople is the ability to succeed and be recognized and make money, right? Hit your number. And I don't care. You go to a happy hour on Friday at four o'clock with your office mates and nobody's hit a number in four months. It's not going to be a very fun experience, right? And so it's a great question. You know, maybe it's something that we can publish and, and I can share with you as a follow-up as to some sort of correlated stat there. But but love we know to see that. Totally. Yeah, for sure. It's correlated. And part of the question there is culture score. Because when I first heard about RepView, I'm like, oh, thank goodness someone's going to give transparency to compensation. But then you kind of blended that with the culture and company score. Um, What are the input variables to the company score beyond compensation? Are there specific things that you're asking? Yeah, there, there's really two separate and distinct kind of statistical sets within RepView. And one set are the seven categories, which are the sentiment scores. Okay. So, and, and those sentiment scores is a one through five star scale for these categories, base comp, incentive structure, culture and leadership, product market fit, professional development and training, inbound lead flow and diversity and inclusion. So users will go through and they'll, they'll rank those, right? One through five for their, their organization. And then the refuse score looks at, we'll take each individual category and we will then overlay a multiplier based on how important that category is for sales professionals. So for example, if people care a lot about base compensation and you do really well, that helps you more than if you do real, really well in a category that people don't care about as much. The other key variable that we do in calculating the refuse score that we take into account is everything's relative, right? Well, I have a 4.2 average and you'll see if you look at a refuse page, there's a raw score. That's just an average of the star rankings, right? That's a raw score. The refuse score takes into account how do those raw scores compare against the average raw score on a category by category basis. And then we apply a multiplier on each of those categories to kind of deliver a score that takes into account how valuable that category is to people. And just to put it succinctly, if you're doing really well and something people care a lot about, it helps you more, right? And then we normalize that on kind of a, a call it a scholastic scale. There might be some scores down in the 60s mom's upset, you better get your grades up. And there might be some scores in the high 90s. And, you know, mom's letting you have ice cream after school if you got that kind of a score, right? So another way to say it for our users, you do weight each of those variables. So let's say inbound leads is very low. and I'm not sure if it is. So that might only get five or 10% weight on the company score. 
But if it was really important, it might get 25% of the weight. Is that kind of what you're saying, Ryan? Yeah, that's a general overview of it. They're weighted based on what people care about. And then all the repu scores, it's also relative to, you know, if everybody gets a 3.2 in inbound lead flow and you get a 3.4, that's pretty good. But if you get a 3.4 in professional development and everybody has a 4.0, that's that's not very good. So there's that. And then the, the second section really is specific to comp. We collect and aggregate specific compensation data points that we can then aggregate and report back to users, which show what percent of your team, like the enterprise team at Google Cloud, what percent of that org is hitting quota? What's the average base compensation? What's the average OTE? What's the average deal size? What's the most somebody can earn in that role? And so that is a specific set of metrics that we also are able to to aggregate and share with our user base, which obviously they find quite valuable. You've been around for about two years. Is that right, Ryan? We came out of beta at the beginning of 2020. I mean, it it started as a side project for me. I, I went full time on it Q2 of last year. And then, you know, throughout most of 2019 was kind of a beta period where you're just kind of tinkering with some stuff and and gathering some ratings before we published any company profiles, because we do only publish profiles when an org has seven or more ratings. So we were just collecting data at that point and and getting some early users on board with what we're doing. So I have asked a question. The reason I asked for how long you're doing it, are you at the point in the journey at RepView where B2B SaaS organizations, not the sales rep, are hating you? Are, oh, we got to deal with RepView or they're loving the insight and information you can provide them? It's not that they're hating us. And maybe the ones that are hating us are not calling us. <laughs> so so that's maybe that's not surprising. I think, number one, they have to deal with us because sales talent is such a huge thing right now. I mean, everybody is hiring you know, out the nose and trying to retain people. You can't fill, it's harder to fill a leaky bucket. And so we are the influencer platform for salespeople, right? This is where they go to do their research. And sales professionals or sales organizations, to your question, are very aware of RepView now, especially over the last several months as we've continued to grow. And they know that, hey, I heard about RepView. How'd you hear about RepView? Well, four candidates in the process in the last two weeks have told us they use it to evaluate opportunities. So that's how we're getting on the radar of these companies. And, you know, they're just very in tune with that now. And there's sales, you know, there's talent marketing, brand marketing, talent brand marketing, there's talent acquisition, sales leaders. And then, yes, we are able to share some aggregated data to employers as part of some of the early adopter engagements that we have. And they really love how we're able to help benchmark their org against talent competitors, as well as, you know, do compensation benchmarking, find talent competitors and help them craft the right message to the right candidate at the right time by understanding how their org stacks up against talent competitors. So in these two-year journey, if you think about the vision when you founded and launched Review to where you're at now, has anything surprised you or has the vision changed a little bit based upon the feedback from the market? Yeah. I mean, I, I think what we found is that there's so much more that we can do with the data and we, we learn new things every day about what we can do with the data and what salespeople care. Salespeople really are, are craving a career resource that they can leverage, not even just right at the point of change of career, but just overall understanding the landscape. And so, you know, I think when we first started, when I first started RepView, there was kind of a very singular focus of hey, I can do this and we get all these users and people want to hire those users, right? Yeah, okay, sort of. And yeah, and we're you know, still a potential talent source. But I think that really just scratches the surface of the data that we have, which is, and, and really core to our mission, I can provide you data 
to give you great insight into how well your sales organization is positioned against your talent competitors to give you a leg up in the talent wars. And I can also enable you to position yourself publicly on the front end of RefView. Not that we change data because we don't, we're not in that game and we never will be, but just getting yourself in front of other companies and telling your story, you know, I think is, is really important. It's just, there's a talent brand story and there's a sales talent brand story. And nobody's really been thinking about the sales talent brand story. So what has changed really is just the number of opportunities for us to continue to grow RepU and to continue to leverage the data set to deliver value to both sides of what we're doing. When I say both sides, I mean the sales professionals and the sales organizations. And it's just really exciting that one single data set really provides unique value to both sides of that market. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about these before we spoke, but we see all these communities popping up and really exploding over the last couple of years. And COVID really kind of accelerated that, whether it's Revenue Collective, Rev Genius, Bravado, Modern Sales Pros. Do you see that community aspect to maybe become part of your value proposition over time where people can go and share best practices and get mentorship and advice? Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely something that we think a lot about. I don't, I don't think we'll probably replicate what you're seeing out there now, just because I think you're right. There are a lot of those and we don't, you know, we don't want to be another message board necessarily just because I think that there are sufficient resources for salespeople on that front right now. I think there are ways that we can use our data and the collective, you know, what users go to, to rep you and they're comfortable leaving information and leaving data. And so I think community as it relates to engaging with users potentially for the purpose of evaluating organizations and those sorts of things, it's always something that we're exploring, you know, in terms of community, but we don't really have any short-term plans to do anything like what you've seen out there today or you know, quote unquote, compete with any of those folks. I think those are great communities and we kind of see them as potential partners versus, you know, being another community. The, the benchmarks when I was a head of sales, a CRO, and now that I work with a lot of companies and help them establish their KPI and metrics infrastructure, I get is what should the quota be? So the first thing I kind of say is, well, number one, what are the attributes of your company? What's the ACV? What's your sell cycle? Lots of different attributes. And then what was the performance of your sales team overall last year? What percentage of people made quota? What was your sell cycle, et cetera? But I would find your data to be incredibly valuable that on a cohort by cohort basis that I could say, oh, so for the 50 companies in my cohort, the average quota is 700,000. The average percentage I pay on new ARR should be 10% or 12% or 8%. Are you providing that level of benchmarking information to the corporate clientele yet? We are. We're not providing specifically the actual quota of, of those orgs. And there's there's a couple of reasons why I won't get into the specific details of that. But I think what's interesting, and, and let me just kind of give you a slightly different scenario that could be really valuable which is sales organizations and talent organizations are struggling to find talent, right? And with COVID, you're not competing against everybody, right? So who should you be recruiting from, right? Well, well, we're recruiting from these five companies. They have a presence in our city and now we're seeing other companies come into our city. So we're recruiting from them too. Well, what about if you, you're in software and, and you have a 35K average deal size, right? So when I used to hire a lot of salespeople, I thought that's a great data point because if somebody has a reasonably similar deal size, they have a reasonably similar deal cadence, deal velocity, and they understand kind of the sales cycle length and that sort of thing. So what if I said, hey, here's 
40 other companies that have a deal size plus or minus $2,000 of your deal size. And here's all the compensation metrics. Here's how many people are hitting quota, how many people are not hitting quota. Here's their scores on product market fit and inbound lead flow. So basically what I'm saying is here's a list of 25 additional companies you can go recruit from. And your message is defined by where you're winning, right? You have a much higher inbound lead flow than that company. Only 20% of their people are hitting quota. So that's your, think about talent acquisition, the same as a go-to-market strategy. What's my addressable market? What's my unique selling proposition? Like, are you doing that on, companies need to be doing that on talent. So we're, we're leveraging that level of data. And then on the, on the compensation metrics, we're marrying some of the sentiment scores with actual compensation to help define what should my base be? What should my OTE be? And it's not just your product competitors or even the regional competitors, but also your ACV competitors, right? Well, you know, what are the OTEs and the base comps of mid-market reps at software companies that sell a 40K product, right? Well, that's, that's a great data point. So we've, we've got a ton of ways to slice the data to help with that compensation and kind of talent benchmarking. I can tell you for any CRO who's listening to today's podcast or CFO that's really trying to do budget and planning for 2022 and what should I be budgeting for my compensation for sales to be able to get the best and brightest in that talent war that we're talking about, it sure sounds like they should be calling rep for you, Ryan. So can I ask CROs and CFOs to reach out to you and see if they can gain access to your data? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, easy to find. I mean, on LinkedIn, and we've got kind of an early adopter thing going with some different products that we're, we've just rolled out and starting to sign on some incredible customers. So happy to, to have the conversation and chat with any CROs or heads of sales, talk to CROs, heads of sales, heads of sales enablement in larger orgs. And we'll, we'll typically also get introduced to head of talent as well, as we, we have close to 20,000 sales professionals that many are interested in chatting with. Yeah. You know, it's the end of Major League Baseball season, so I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here. And my last question is, as you kind of evaluate compensation, I don't know if you get into the qualitative aspects of a VC plan, what are the components, but there's been a lot of talk online and some of my other podcasts that VC plans are broken because we're incenting salespeople just to go out and close new accounts but not incenting them to make sure that their solutions delivering value, that you have higher retention rates so that the customer lifetime values become larger. Are you seeing comp plans actually changing with what the AE is being incented on? That is not something to me that really strikes a nerve. What I think, you know, every company is different. Some companies are going to employ customer success professionals and the AE does a handoff and then doesn't deal with that customer, particularly for single product sales, which is fine. If there's multiple, then the, the CRO needs to come up with a strategy for how involved the AE team is post-sale and what they should be doing and who should be handling that and should they be hands-off or hands-on. When you're talking about the VC model and that sort of thing, where I usually respond is that the giant series B that you see out there right now is sold by the deck that is exclusively designed to prove that they can get to the bigger, even more giant series C. And it has a ton of widgets in a model and a widget is a salesperson and they can still hit their number and get to the series C with only 55% of those widgets hitting their number. And the way I position this to sales professionals is like your failure is, is tied to their plan. And I think it's it's a challenging model, you know, because the macro plan accounts for so many levels of management and leadership and it all rolls up to this board plan whereby I can hit my 10 million new revenue with 40% of my team hitting. And, and there's so much money flowing in from the VC to the pre-IPO companies, particularly in tech, 
that you know the demand for all those widgets, which are salespeople, which are human beings, by the way, it is so high. It's like your failure as a salesperson is modeled into their plan. And so that's really, you know, not to kind of change it up on you, but when people ask me about VC and this and that, like, you know, that that's really what I'm concerned about. I, I'm not that concerned about is, is the sales compensation plan structured terribly, right? There, there's so many resources out there. If it is, it's probably a red flag to leave, but there's so many resources out there on how to build a reasonable, decent SaaS comp plan or software or IT comp plan. Uh, but I'm, I'm more thinking about how, you know, how many sales reps, the CRO is totally fine with half their reps failing, you know, because they're going to hit their number. And that, that's really what drives me kind of up the wall. Yeah. yeah. One of the variables I'm seeing more and more talk about in our customer base and across the industry is we're moving to more and more of a product-led growth, go-to-market motion. Mm-hmm. And it takes a little bit different skill set to take a, a user from being a five users to 10 users to get them to be 100. But also the mix of new ARR versus expansion ARR is changing. And one of the big debates is, do I have my AE responsible for that expansion? Or do I create a new account management function? Or do I create a new CS function? And I won't go to that level with you, Ryan. But my question is, in your compensation data, do you look at the mix of how many people have just new name customer AR responsibilities or new and existing customer growth? Yeah, we do. We have that mix broken out. And I think it's probably a pretty even split. I don't have the data in front of me. We, the users, when they enter, and we will lump those kind of in, in some of our reporting and metrics, we'll lump the user selects either sell to new accounts only or sell to new and manage existing accounts. In many of our metrics, we'll kind of lump those together as kind of, quote unquote, the bucket of account executives. But we can break that out separately as well. And, and actually, I think it's a pretty even split. I haven't looked at the data in a few months just to see how many is in what bucket. But it's it's not exceptionally lopsided one side or the other. That's interesting. At the macro level, you know, historically, people have said, well, if you look at your growth ARR, 70% is going to be new name customers and 30% is going to be existing customer expansion. And what we're seeing is a fundamental shift in that mix ratio, where last year I saw it at about 64, 36. And of course, if you're product-led growth, it flips upside down. So it might be interesting over time to be able to capture that information also, is what's the percentage split in quota and thus VC. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what didn't I ask you today that you want to make sure that our listening audience knows about RepView and kind of your vision on adding transparency into sales compensation and sales team cultures? No, I I think that's great. I mean, I think we, not a lot. I mean, we're mission driven for the sales professional, giving them extreme transparency. Right now on our site, we have about 550 sales organization profiles published. We only publish those that have seven ratings. So if you don't see your sales org and you're a sales professional, you can still go add a rating. We'd love it if you did that. It takes only about two and a half minutes. The data just gets aggregated with other data. It's never displayed individually on the site. So it's essentially anonymized in that way. For B2B sales leaders, we've got a ton of data. Depending on the organization, we probably have a ton of data on your organization. We're growing really, really fast. You know, We expect to be a resource that's going to be around for a long time to come. And anybody who wants to learn more about Refuge, just drop me a note on LinkedIn. I'm easy to get a hold of. One last thing I wanted to ask you before I do my wrap-up. Sales development. I know we've talked a lot about AEs. How big is your data set for sales development? I guess what I'm really asking is sales development a profession that you're also got great data on and SDRs and SDR leaders who are following us can come and get that data there? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I I would say that it's at least, it's probably 35% of our overall data set, our sales development reps. 
so it is, it is a pretty big chunk. Yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about account executives. When Repu is initially designed to be anyone that it kind of lives under the umbrella of sales organization. So sales enablement support, account executive type roles, sales development roles. We're not too focused on leadership roles really at this point, account manager roles. So yeah, sales development is a, is a pretty big part of what we do. Let's get to know Ryan a little bit better with three quick questions. So Ryan, is there a CEO or company that you think is a must follow? That you're following today? Yeah, I mean, this is a love him or hate him person, but I'm an Elon Musk fan. And, and the reason is just the visionary aspect of what he's doing. And then the other thing, he could have just kind of rode off into the sunset after he made all that money from PayPal. He literally took every cent high risk, right? It's not like he kept 20 million in the bank just in case anything went south. He was not able to pay rent because he took literally every cent to invest it in his new ventures, you know. Obviously, Tesla and SpaceX and those. So, so I'm a pretty big Elon, Elon fan. Deeper silence flies, the all-in mentality. Okay, which tool, not your own, do you think every SaaS company should be using out there to help their sales organization be more productive and efficient? They need to be better at social channels, right? I mean, it's amazing. Like more and more and more buyers are on these social channels. Fast forward 10 years, the Instagrams, even the TikToks, I'm not sure what's going to happen with that one. But, you know, LinkedIn, like, make a better effort on social channels, right? Everybody uses CRM and all these other tools, Cadence and all that, but I see it every day. These companies are like little old rep you with three employees has more followers on LinkedIn than, than all these companies. And it's like, you know, th- there's a big opportunity to grow your brand in a very cost-effective manner with better effective use of social channels. Okay, so get to know your social channels and use them more. In the last word, if you were talking to someone who's just getting ready to graduate from UNC or has just graduated and like, man, I want to be a B2B SaaS founder someday, what's the advice that you would give them? I love this one. My, my advice is go sell something. To be a B2B SaaS leader, you have to have an engine, a sales engine. If you're a tech founder of a large B2B SaaS company right now, I'm sure you have people that have architected engines in the past. I just think it's so valuable when a founder has sales experience themselves and understands the rhythm and the cadence and the process. So my, go sell something, whatever it is, just go sell something. I love it. Be more social, go sell something and take a little bit of a clue from Elon Musk if you want to be a great entrepreneur. Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for what you're doing for the B2B sales profession with RepView. And I look forward to having another conversation with you someday on the Metrics at Major Up podcast. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And to our listening audience, if you're enjoying our guests and the topics that we're discussing, it would mean the world to us. Go ahead and subscribe to Metrics at Major Up on your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and give us a rating and provide us a recommendation how we can make the podcast even better for you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.